We're going to be in Revelation chapter 15 and 16 today. If you're kind of new to Grace Life, we've been preaching through the book of Revelation now. I think this is, I don't know, week 16, maybe, something like that. And we come to Revelation chapter 15 and 16 today. I thought this might be a good place just to kind of pause and give an overview of the book of Revelation, kind of ramp into chapter 15, all right? So maybe this will kind of get us caught up a little bit. So Revelation chapter 1, John has this vision of Jesus. This is why the book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus, and in particular in that vision, Jesus is walking among seven golden lampstands, which represents Jesus' church. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking to his church, and he affirms his church, and he admonishes his church. He um, applauds the good things that he sees happening in his church. Then in chapter 4, John gets caught up to heaven, and he sees the beauty and the glory of heaven. He sees the throne room of God, and God the Father is seated on the throne, and in his right hand, he's holding a scroll that is rolled up, and it's sealed with seven seals. Revelation chapter 5, John begins to weep, recognizing that what that scroll is, is the title deed to all of creation, that what's inside that scroll is an end to sin, an end to suffering, an end to Satan, a new heaven and a new earth. But John begins to weep because he said, nobody's found in heaven that is worthy to open that scroll. And then one of the elders says to John, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is overcome and he's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. So Jesus comes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of his father. And beginning in Revelation chapter six, he begins to break each of those seals, consequently resulting in the judgment of God falling then from heaven onto the earth. It ends in chapter 6 with the breaking of the sixth scroll, and we kind of hit pause there. And in chapter 7 of Revelation, we're introduced to 144,000 of God's servants that he is preserving for his purposes during the seven years of tribulation. In that same chapter, we're introduced to a multitude of people that nobody could count from every tongue and tribe and nation. They're gathered around the throne of God and they're praising him. Many of those people are people who lost their lives in the course of the tribulation. Then we come to chapter 8. Chapter 8, the seventh seal of judgment is broken, and that initiates the next set of seven judgments that are the trumpet judgments. In chapter 8, we get the first four trumpet blasts. Chapter 9, we get the fifth and the sixth trumpet blast. And then in chapter 10, we kind of come up for air a little bit again, and we see this ginormous angel standing there, and he's holding a little bitty scroll, and John is instructed to eat that scroll, and John describes that as a bittersweet experience. And so it is for us as the people of God, that the judgment of God is bittersweet. It's sweet for us because as Christ followers, His judgment does not fall on us because it already fell on Jesus at the cross. So that is sweet for us, but it is bitter because we all know men and women who've not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for them, if they depart this world without knowing Christ, certainly His judgment is going to fall on them. And then we came to chapter 11 where we met these two witnesses of God who are preaching the gospel in the streets of Jerusalem. They lose their lives, they're resurrected, and then we have the seventh trumpet blast in chapter 11. Chapter 12, we got this overarching narrative of world history, the 
main characters being this woman, the child she's pregnant with, and the great red dragon. The woman representing Israel, the child she's pregnant with representing the Messiah, and the great red dragon representing Satan. And then in chapter 13, we're introduced to the Antichrist, to the false prophet, in that infamous passage about the mark of the beast in 666. Last weekend, we were in chapter 14, which blessed us because chapter 14 is kind of a glimpse of where this is all headed. Chapter 14 is a preview of the very last moments of the tribulation. And today we come to chapter 15. And I would describe chapter 15 like this. It's celebration and it's preparation. It's preparation for these final seven judgments to be poured out on the earth. But it's also celebration. It's celebrating that it, this is the wrath of God being poured out. This is the wrapping up of His judgment. That soon Jesus is completing all of this work. And the new heaven and the new earth are on its way. And that brings us to chapter 16, which I call condemnation. Because that's where the bold judgments are actually now being poured out. Chapter 17 and 18 in the weeks to come, what that's going to be is kind of looking in the rearview mirror at where we've already come from. Chapter 19 is celebration in heaven. Chapter 20 is new heaven and new earth. And chapter 21 and 22 uh, is new heaven and new earth, I should say. So that's kind of the whole overview of the book of Revelation. So let's get to chapter 15 and chapter 16 today. Preparation, celebration. And condemnation. So here's what I'm telling you. I said all that to say this, maybe to encourage you, because if you've been on this journey with us, there's been it's just been challenging at times. Uh, walking through chapters five through nineteen, which is covering the great the, the, the tribulation, that's challenging. So the good news today is we we actually today are coming to the end of the tribulation, because next week we're going to be looking backwards at it. So. Um, Congratulations to you. All right, you've, you've, you've made it through the tribulation. All right, here's what I want to do. I, I want to read these two chapters straight through to you. All right, that's a lot of reading, more than I normally read at one time. I know reading is sometimes a way we relax and, and fall asleep. So I'm telling you that to say, as I read this, if I fall asleep, wake me up, okay? And uh, say, hey, you got to keep reading. Here we go. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. John says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great, mega, and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. You see that? The last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, that's the celebration. Here comes the preparation. After this, I looked. And the sanctuary of the tent of the witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. 
And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. All right, class, so you've kept up seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and now the final seven bowl judgments, and they're going to come rapid fire. These are the final moments of the seven years of tribulation. These are all happening in a compressed and a quick sort of way. Verse 2, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. Notice what it doesn't say. There is no is to come, because he has now come, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. The Euphrates River one day is going to be dried up to make access for the kings of the east to come in and align themselves for the battle of Armageddon. From east of the Euphrates, you have these nations, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Russia, and China. Oh, the possibilities. Verse 13, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief, Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. The world has never seen the kind of suffering like it's going to see in these final moments of the seven years of tribulation. Also oftentimes called the day of the Lord. God is pouring out unreservedly here in these moments. 
His full measure of wrath against all sin on the earth. And yet, here's what's interesting. In the middle of this fury, in the middle of this wrath, in the middle of this judgment, we hear people in heaven praising God. Notice chapter 16, verse 5. And I heard an angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You hear this praise coming from heaven. The Bible says the altar even is praising God. And I don't think that's an inanimate object that's praising God. I think that's in reference to chapter 6, the people that we met, the souls that were beneath the altar. If you were here that weekend, you may recall that. And they were crying out to God, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our deaths? And here they are now. They're praising God. Now, I can understand why people in heaven would be praising God. I I can understand that. If I was where they are, I would be praising God too. I wouldn't be seeing through a glass dimly anymore. I wouldn't have a view from the cheap, seat, cheap seats. I would, I would really see what it is that God is up to. I can understand why they're praising God in heaven there. But I'm not there. I'm here. And here isn't there, is it? It's not even close. And yet this is where I am. This is where we are. There is magnificent. Here is a hot mess and madness. I'm still sitting in the cheap seats. I don't have the same view that they have there. It all makes sense from where they're sitting. But from from where I'm sitting, from where you're sitting, let's be honest, there's a whole lot in our world and in our lives this morning that doesn't make sense sense they're worshiping with sight and i'm still trying to worship by faith and i gotta be honest with you in these days i'm not proud to admit this but i have walked more in my feelings than i have walked in faith It wasn't too long ago that I heard a preacher preaching a sermon series out of the Gospel of John. You might have heard that too. He spent a couple of years there. And in his last sermon from that series on April the 19th of this year, he read these verses. That same preacher went back and read them this week. John chapter 20, verse 24. And these spoke to me this week. This is after Jesus has been resurrected in verse 24 of John 20 says one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came and they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. 
My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Did you, did you catch that? Jesus just said, Blessed are those who are still sitting in the cheap seats, who can't see me, who can't see everything that I'm doing, and yet they believe. Blessed are those. And I needed to hear that this week. It was almost like I was watching a television show reading John chapter 20, and I could see in this television scene Jesus talking to Thomas, and he's saying, hey, put your fingers right here and, and, and touch my side my, right here. And then it was almost like Jesus turned and looked into the camera. This is how I was reading the text this week. I could see Jesus turn and look at the camera, and he was looking right at me, and he said, blessed are those who do not see and believe. And man, when I heard that, it shook me out of my feelings. And it shook me back down to my faith. Lord, I want to believe, and I want to believe from the cheap seats. I want to believe even though I don't have the same view that the saints in heaven have. I don't want that to diminish my praise. I don't want that to make me back up because you're worthy of all of my praise and all of my attention and all of my affection. So God, do a new work and do a fresh work in me. So I might not be in the same seat as they are, but I am in the same victory. I might not have the same view today from where I am as compared to their view, but I do have the same victory. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We might not have the same view, and we don't have the same view that those in glory have, but we do have the same victory. And I want to talk to you today three things about this victory that we have in common today with those who are already gathered around the throne of God. The first thing that I would say this is we need to be reminded that our victory, just like theirs, it stands on the unchanging, perfect, everlasting Word of God. Our victory is not circumstantial. Our victory is not superficial. Our victory stands forever on the everlasting Word of God. Look at Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. John says, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass. You might underline or circle that word sea. Sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass. There's actually another preposition you can use there besides the word beside. It's the preposition on. We could say, and I believe it's a better translation actually to say they're standing on the sea of glass. They're standing on it with harps of God in their hands. Some scholars believe that this sea of glass that we're seeing here in Revelation is something very similar to what we see in Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. That this is actually the real thing and Solomon's temple was uh, the shadow of the real thing. This basin... In Solomon's temple, this great big laver was also known as the sea. I'll show you this in 1 Kings chapter 7 in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 7, 23. Notice this. The Bible here is giving us a description of everything that's made in Solomon's temple. And it says, then he made the sea of cast metal. So we're not talking about a real sea here. We're talking about a huge laver. It was round, ten cubits from brim to brim, five cubits high, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. You say, what does all that mean? 
It's about 15 feet in diameter, roughly 47 feet in circumference, about seven and a half feet deep. Outdoor pool today, good size one, about 47 feet in diameter, only about three feet deep. This one's the same size as maybe your outdoor pool, but seven and a half feet deep. Verse 24 says, Under its brim were gourds for ten cubits, encompassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with it when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three, not real oxen, you know, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. The sea was set on them. So this great metal basin, ginormous, set down on these twelve oxen. The sea was set on them and all their rear parts inward. That's my favorite line in that whole text. That means these oxen are facing out. Their behinds are underneath the sea. It sat down on top of them. And its thickness was a handbreadth. Its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. It held 2,000 baths. If those are my kids' baths, that's a lot of water. This great basin or laver in Solomon's temple represented the Word of God. This is where the priests would stop before they would approach the Holy of Holies and they would be washed here. It, it was to remind the people that we're washed and cleansed by the washing of the Word of God, the perfect Word of God in our life. But we just read in Revelation chapter 15 here that the saints of God, they're standing on the sea. There's no longer a reason for them to be washed by the Word of God. They're, they're in heaven. They're with the Lord. They're complete. They're glorified now, you say. They're no longer standing beside the Word of God. They're standing on the Word of God. Many of them had been killed because of their faith in Jesus, but now they're standing on His Word, His complete, perfect, infallible, inspired Word, and they're giving praise to God Almighty. Listen, if you're in Christ today... You might not have the same view that they have, but you have the same victory. You're standing today on that same Word of God. You are who the Word of God says you are in Jesus. He is who the Word says He is. He will never change. And our victory stands secure on the Word of God. No, we're not in the sweet by and by yet. We're still in the nasty now and now. But we're still standing in victory. Our victory stands on the Word of God. Listen, you don't have to fight for that victory. Jesus has already won that victory. But if you want to walk in that victory, we've got to keep that Word of God in our minds. We've got to be meditating on, meditating on it day and night, especially in these days. When there's so many distractions in our life and in our world, we've got to get the Word in our head and meditate on it day and night. The psalmist says in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He'll be like a tree planted beside rivers of waters, who bears forth in his season, bears forth fruit in his season, whose leaf doesn't wither. You want to you prosper in Jesus, you get the Word of God in your brain. Meditate on it. But not just in your mind, but get it in your mouth. God told Joshua before he crossed over the Jordan River, Don't let the book of this law depart from your mouth. Listen, as God's people today, we need to have the Word of God in our mouth because we need to be saying it to ourselves and we need to be saying it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you really want to know Jesus in a powerful way, you've got to take the next step. It's got to go from your brain to your mouth to your life. You've got to walk in obedience 
to God's word. That's when your relationship with Jesus is really going to come to life and he's really going to be real to you. So I might not have the same view as the saints in heaven, but I do have. And if you're in Christ today, you have the same victory and this victory stands on the word of God. Secondly, this victory, we sing about it. We sing about the works of God. Our victory sings about the works of God. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. It's a mashup. They're singing the first song ever recorded in the Bible, the song of Moses, and they're mashing it up with the song of the Lamb, the last song that's sung in the Bible. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Notice this song is not about what the saints of God have done. This song is about what God Almighty has done. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways ways, O King of the nations. They're singing the song of Moses. You may remember back in the book of Exodus, there came a night that they obeyed God and they took the blood of a lamb and they applied it to a wooden door frame horizontally and vertically. And that night, the judgment of God came over Egypt when he saw the blood of the lamb had been applied to their lives. He passed over them and they walked out of Egypt free men and women, set free from bondage, set free from slavery. And they got all the way to the Red Sea and it looked like this victory would be short-lived. Oh, but no. God parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. God draws their enemies into the trough of the Red Sea. And when the, all their enemies are placed in the heart of the Red Sea, God closed it up on them and he buried their enemies in that sea. But they're not just singing the song of Moses in heaven. They're singing the song of the Lamb. And that's my song. If you're in Christ today, that's your song. That's our song. That's our song. That's our story. This is our song, praising our Savior all the day long because we also were in bondage. We also were slaves to sin. But there came a moment in our life that the blood of the Lamb of God was applied both vertically and horizontally by grace through faith to our lives. And we were set free from our bondage and our sin. And then God brings us across and baptism represents that He has buried our sin, buried our slave masters in the sea of forgetfulness. And He has raised us up. Addie, we're going to baptize you in a little while you're going to be raised up to walk in a new life that's what it symbolizes this is the song of the lamb we've crossed over and i know these are hard days that you and i are living in but we got a song to sing we're alive and we're free and we're victorious we are not victims quit whining quit complaining quit pointing fingers we are sons and daughters of god we have been set free. And we're walking in this victory. And our song is not about what we've done. Our song is about Jesus and what He has done. So we might not have the same view as the saints in heaven, but we have the same victory, and don't you forget it. And this victory stands on the Word of God. This victory sings the songs of God the works of God. And third, this victory celebrates the wrath of God. Verse 4 of chapter 15 says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They're worshiping because the wrath of God is about to fall in these seven bowls now. 
Verse 5 says, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of the witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Listen, we celebrate the wrath of God. That sounds odd to say. But we celebrate with them in heaven the wrath of God because what that means is there is not one single sin that is going to escape His punishment. Not one single sin is going to go unpunished. We want justice in our world. We want justice in our lives. Perfect, unquestionable justice. And it's coming. The justice of God is going to be perfectly and thoroughly served in this world. Nobody's sin is going to be overlooked. Nobody's sin is going to be winked at. All sin is going to be dealt with. Every sin is going to be punished. There is no question about that. Here's the question. Will you be punished for your sin in an eternal place of torment? Or will you be pardoned of your sin because by grace, through faith, you have trusted that Christ has already paid for your sin at the cross? For those of us who are in Christ this morning, who know Jesus, we celebrate this wrath for really two reasons. One, because it signals the end has come. The end of sin, cancer, COVID, the end of suffering, the end of Satan, the end of death, and we celebrate that. And we also celebrate His wrath because it serves to remind us that for those of us who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Not one drop of this coming wrath of God is going to fall on my head. Chuck, I deserve it all. I deserve it all. I, I will not be getting what I deserve on that day. I've gotten grace. Every drop of the wrath of God that I deserve, Jesus took it. Instead of Him pouring that bowl of wrath out on me as I deserved at the cross, Jesus drank down every last drop of my wrath. And He said, it is finished this is why Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ we're free for those of us today that are free in Jesus I know I know these are challenging days that we live in I know that I know it's easy to walk in our feelings it's easy to be aggravated and anxious and even afraid we don't have the same view here as the saints in heaven have. But I came today to remind you, despite everything that we see going on around us in Christ, we have the same victory. It's not a future victory. It's a present victory. We have it today. We stand on the unchanging Word of God. We sing Songs about the work of God. We celebrate the wrath of God. It's soon coming. And this world 
will be forever changed. He'll make all things new. and He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. So what does that mean for us today and tomorrow? Well, I think it means that we need to get our feet planted firmly in the Word of God. We need to get it in our heads. We need to get it in our mouths. And we need to walk according to it. That means less world, more word this week. Less news, more word this week. Less social media, more word this week. Look, we're getting squeezed. And what's not been coming out of us is the word. This world's looking for answers. They need Jesus. They'll find him in you and in me. But he's got to get fully into us, and he'll do that through his word. We get it in our minds, get it in our mouths, and live it out. And then we've got to get a song stuck in our heart. Songs that are about the works of God. Songs that are about the character of God. Can, can I just encourage you this week to lock your heart into songs of praise, songs of worship. Don't deviate from it. The old DJ, I think it was Rock 99 when I was a kid, used to say, tune it in and rip the knob off. All right, let's do that with our hearts this week. Let's tune our hearts to a song of praise and let's just rip the knob of our heart off and say, I don't want to change the channel. I'm not going to change the station. I'm not going to go seeking for something else. I'm going to be set on a song about the works of God and who He is. And then let's celebrate the wrath of God. Yeah, let's celebrate the coming wrath of God. He's going to bring all this soon to an end, but let's celebrate the past wrath of God that was poured out on the cross where Jesus died in our place. That'll help us preach the gospel to ourselves. That's what we haven't been doing real well. We've been preaching pity parties to ourselves instead of the powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching the truth of who He is and what He's done and who we are in Him. I know our view's not the same, Lee, but our victory is. God, we bow our hearts before You today, so grateful for Your faithfulness. Our view, God, You know, is limited. We are looking through a glass, it seems dimly right now. We don't know anymore what one moment to the next is going to look like. And you know, God, I don't think that's all bad. I think in some ways these are good gifts from you right now. We've been so comfortable. We've been so accustomed to being able to plan next moments, next months, next years. We don't really have that ability to do that so well anymore. It serves to remind us that you alone are God. Help us to rest, God, in that. Our view of you is not... Like the view in heaven, our view certainly is limited, but our victory in you, Jesus, it is without question exactly the same. Our victory is real. So Holy Spirit, would you encourage us today and in the days to come to stand on your unchanging word, to sing songs about the works of God, to celebrate the wrath of God that has come and is yet still coming. 
What kind of love is this that the Father has lavished on us that we are called the sons and the daughters of God? Even from the cheap seats. I can see how amazing that is. And I praise you, God, for it. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together, church. Come on. With all our heart and souls and our minds, let's worship Him.